Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Rob Basham. So we're kicking off a new series today. Our series is entitled Welcome, and we're talking about the concept of hospitality. The next four weeks, we're going to concentrate on this concept of hospitality. Hospitality is something that that I've learned a lot about living in the Middle East for 12 years. I really, I I was incredibly blessed to live in such a, a, a culture that prides itself on hospitality. The concept uh, of just the way it surrounds coffee and meals. And there was just all of these different nuances in the culture that revolve around that hospitality and that inviting culture. In in the Middle East, oftentimes you don't schedule a visit with people. You just drop in on them, which took a little time to get used to. Your house always has to be semi-clean. And you kind of always have to have coffee and some sweets to plate up in case guests stop by. And, and, And what I quickly learned that was when people stop by and you don't really want them to be there, it's not a great time that you just serve them coffee. And that, that is a culturally acceptable sign to say, this isn't a good time. We have about 15 minutes and then you should leave. What a, like, where is that in our culture? It's such a beautiful instrument of just grace to you're bothering me right now. And it's beautiful. But if you dropped in on somebody and they brought out juice and then some nuts and then, and then some appetizers, you knew you're there for a little while. And that this was a good time to drop by. And I, I love the concept in the, when you would go for a big meal at someone's house, which were planned. And you would go for a big meal. And you would finish eating. And, and you're about to leave. And they say, no, stay longer. And do they mean it or don't they? They have to say that. And, and you figure these cultural nuances out. And you finally leave. And they send you home with a bunch of the leftovers. And they don't just send you home with them in a Ziploc bag or a, a, a throwaway Tupperware that they don't want back. They send it with a plate a beautiful plate full of the leftovers, encouraging you to interact with them again when you have to now return that plate. And you return that plate with goods that you've created in a a way to just re-engage and take the relationship to another level. I love that piece of hospitality in the culture. I'll never forget one of the first times my mom came to visit. My mom, my brother and sister, they came for Christmas and we were so excited about their arrival. So we drove four hours north to the airport to pick them up. And we pick them up and we start heading back down south to to where we were living in about the halfway point, two hours from the airport, two hours from home, our van broke down. Middle of the desert, December 23rd, 11 p.m., Christmas Eve's coming. We're in the middle of the desert. Luckily, there's a police station a couple hundred yards up. Walk to police station, hospitality. Captain comes out, greets me, greets my family, realizes my mom just arrived on a long flight, kicks all the cadets out of the lounge, kicks them all out. I have no idea where they went. The lounge is now belongs to my family. He brings us tea. He brings us coffee. He brings us food. He feeds us. For the next four hours, he just keeps it coming as we wait for someone to come and pick us up from there. I love the fact he even organized a tow truck to take my van to the capital city to the mechanic that he trusted for me. He called my cell phone three days later to make sure my mom was having a good time in his country. Hospitality. Hospitality is a powerful thing. But see, church, I believe that in some ways it's lost its power and its meaning over time. To the early church, hospitality was a fierce word. It was a fierce concept. In Greek, literally, it actually means love of the stranger. It means love of the stranger. Hospitality meant extending to strangers the same provision and kindness usually reserved for close friends and family. It was a qualification to be a leader in the early church. 
That's how important love of the stranger was to the early church. It was a vital aspect of the gospel being lived out. It was radical humility. It was a huge part of why the early church grew. And the early church grew across all sorts of cultural and social differences. All sorts of boundaries were crossed. This lived out in the early church meant that class structures were eradicated when the Christ followers gathered. Hospitable acts and intense care were given to those who couldn't reciprocate, who could not pay for them. Acts of hospitality reinforced that we are all created in the image of God. That we are all equal in his sight. Unlike its meaning today, kingdom hospitality was not a synonym of entertaining. Kingdom hospitality is more messy soup kitchen than it is Joanna Gaines. It's more volunteering with family building blocks than it is hosting a party like Martha Stewart. It's more buying the vagabond a slice of pizza and asking him his story than it is bringing your best buds together for a Bobby Flay-inspired barbecue meat fest on your back deck. Please understand, I'm not saying that entertaining and hosting are wrong. They're not. They're a gift. They're amazing. They're incredible. They have purpose. And if you throw a big meat fest, I am there with you. Meat comas on tri-tip and their best happen in community. But what I'm getting at here is that biblical, gospel, kingdom hospitality is more than entertaining. It engages the stranger. And in this series on hospitality, we are going to converse about that. About this concept of kingdom hospitality. In his book, I Once Was a Stranger, Arthur Sutherland defines hospitality this way. In light of Jesus' death, Resurrection and return, Christian hospitality is the intentional, responsible, and caring act of welcoming or visiting in either public or private places those who are strangers, enemies, the distressed, without regard for reciprocation. Church, I believe that in this series we will recapture the fullness of gospel hospitality. I I pray that we will realize the incredible experience that comes as a result of understanding this. I believe that gospel hospitality is the hidden ingredient. It enriches, it confirms, it strengthens our faith. It's the hidden ingredient. It's the bacon to the Cobb salad. It's the lime to the street taco. We're going to talk about food all day today. It is the secret sauce. It's the secret sauce that makes the kingdom of God come alive and come into action. And personally, studying this word has affected me over the past couple of weeks. I didn't realize how integral and powerful hospitality was to the early church. I didn't understand that it meant love of the stranger. I always found it a bit odd that it was a a, a qualification to be a leader in the church. It's begun to to make more sense to me, and it's led me to personally look for ways to recapture this rich tradition of kingdom hospitality that the early church understood so well. It's also caused me to to engage as I read scripture and, and I read the gospels in the New Testament through the lens of gospel hospitality, new things have jumped out and come alive to me. And two parables that I want to look at today fall into that category. And the first is in Luke 14. The second we'll get to in a little bit, but the first is in Luke 14. If you would turn there with me, if you look in your pew Bibles, it's on page 868. If you're looking on your little app there, you'll find it. Luke's in the Gospels. But we're in Luke 14. We're going to be reading and starting in verse 7. And the context here is, is Jesus is in his ministry. 
He's at the house of a Pharisee. It's not his favorite place to be. Pharisees are not who he desires to hang out with. He likes to hang out with the stranger. That's what he has exemplified. He's continually with the prostitute and the tax collector and the poor and the crippled and the lame. But here he is at the house of the Pharisee. It's the Sabbath. They've just tried to trap him like they keep doing. And they brought in somebody that need healing. And they wanted to see would Christ heal him on the Sabbath. And he's in this deal. And he's probably moved from the front room where where that conversation happened. And he's probably moving now to the back room. And he's going to have a meal with a group of Pharisees. And he sees them jockeying for position, all trying to show their worth and their power. And we pick it up, Luke 14, verse 7. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all your guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his hosts. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. This is the word of the Lord. The word hospitality is not explicitly mentioned in this parable, but the concept, love of the stranger, is clearly there. And today, church, we want to better understand and rediscover this powerful kingdom hospitality that this early church knew so well. We want to see why it's the secret sauce. We want to see why the characteristics, we want to learn these characteristics that Christian hospitality embraced, differing in some ways from our comfortable hosting concepts. We're going to see hospitality's central role in the gospel going forth and consider some simple ways to recapture that kingdom hospitality. So let's dive in. The first characteristic that I see in this, in this parable about kingdom hospitality is this. Kingdom hospitality expects nothing in return. It expects nothing in return. That's not the easiest thing to understand. It's not the easiest thing to live out. As we defined earlier, Christian hospitality is the caring act of welcoming the stranger without regard for reciprocation, without expecting something in return. When I began to learn Arabic, one of the first words that they said I had to learn, and not only learn, but understand its effect on the culture, was the word wasta. The word wasta. Now you know an Arabic word. The word wasta often, a lot of the young guys, they call it vitamin wow. Vitamin wow. Wasta is this deal about who do you know, the clout that you have, your connections, the influence that you have that might be useful to other people. The Arab world runs on this wasta concept. It's a patronage system, you see. And, and it's, you got to give to receive favors. And you have to understand. It means that, Ahmed, hey, look, I, I need this building permit. Do you know anyone in the licensing department? Because I need a hookup here. Oh, my hand. Look, we ran our air conditioner way too much this month. I can't pay the full bill. Do you know anybody at the electric company that could shave a little bit off or give me some payment plans? Because if they turn off my electricity, that's a problem. That's WASTA. 
That is what wasta is. And likewise, here Jesus is coming into this culture that is based on patronage. It's a wasta society where hospitality has been made into a currency. Hospitality has been made into a currency. This back and forth bartering, often unsaid, often unspoken, but you know. Who do you know? Help me out. People are invited to banquets often for a reason. Maybe then down the road, they'll invite me back and there'll be other important people there. Or when my daughter needs a job, that person will remember that I gave them the seat of honor at my party. But Jesus comes in and he flips this entire way of thinking. He says, that is not kingdom hospitality. That is self-serving, cultural entertaining. Don't confuse that with kingdom hospitality. Your reward for that is now. Notice what Christ says to the host in verse 12. When you throw a party, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. For they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, you will be rewarded for inviting those who could not repay you. While this kind of connections-based, vitamin wow, pervasive culture, it's not as invasive here in America. But for many of us, it is still our instinct to practice hospitality with people that will benefit us. Maybe it's just that they will affirm our way of thinking. They won't challenge our way of life. They won't challenge the way we think or do things. But it is often our natural instinct to dwell in community that looks like us. And we look for people that will make us feel belonging that won't necessarily add or offend or challenge our way of thinking. Look, there's a place for connecting with family and friends. We're not saying that's not the deal. There's a big place for that. It is important. Many of us did that on 4th of July. I did. But what Christ is making clear here is that kingdom hospitality is more than that. You see, for many of us, we practice calculations-based hospitality. We practice this calculations-based hospitality. I'll be the first to admit that oftentimes I find myself enslaved to it. Either we look to invite those that have a clear something to bring to the community or add to the table, or we actually limit our acceptance of invitations because we don't want to have to owe other people. I struggle receiving without making a mental note that now I owe that person. It's something I've been working on for the past couple of years because it's something I struggle with. I don't want to seem like I'm a taker or entitled, but I want to be a generous giver. Maybe it's something that I picked up living in a Wasa society, but I'm as guilty of anyone at practicing calculations-based hospitality. In church, that is not based on the selfless love that Christ demonstrated for us. It robs me from receiving from others and causes me at times to avoid the stranger or the one who can't reciprocate back to me. But kingdom hospitality breathes life in power into community. Grasping it doesn't replace your existing community, but it does have the potential to expand it and make it more vibrant. Selfless kingdom hospitality is countercultural and it's beautiful. And because it's beautiful, it leads me to the second characteristic I see here kingdom hospitality is attractive to our world. Look, our world wants community. They want it. And it's our job, church, to give it to them. The idea of a community where all people are welcome, 
where those who are often ostracized are welcomed in, is attractive to our world. It is this kind of untamed hospitality where ordinary people are caring for those that have nothing to bring to the table that is powerful, and it's an attractive aspect of our faith. It was this living hospitality, love of the stranger, love of the enemy that was the catalyst for the growth of the early church. The author and and pastor N.T. Wright says this about it. The Christian faith spread in early centuries despite the Romans trying to stamp it out because of ordinary people living in an extraordinary way, caring for people, especially the poor, even when they were not related to them, giving people medical treatment, education, and so on, which had been reserved only for the rich or the elite. People were astonished. They didn't know it was possible to live like that. Friends, it was the early church, hospitality, hospital is in there. The early church, the early bishops started hospitals. They started the educational things. The early church knew how to do this well. As Christ announced that the kingdom of God was at hand, he was also saying kingdom hospitality is now the way that will be realized. This was a new and refreshing concept. It was a lifter to those that didn't have the wasa, that didn't have the connections. It wasn't a commodity. It could not be purchased. This community could not be bought into. It was authentic. It was pure. It was sincere. It understood that deeds and actions speak to all cultures and all socioeconomic groups better than words. It was love in a pure form. It was the expression of the spirit-filled life being lived out by the early church. The early church knew the power of hospitality. In her book, Making Room, Christine Pohl, and I highly recommend this book, Christine Pohl writes this, early Christian writers claim that transcending social and ethnic differences by sharing meals, homes, and worships with persons of different backgrounds was a proof of the truth of Christian faith. Even a superficial review of the first 17 centuries of church history reveals the importance of hospitality to the spread But not only the spread, the credibility of the gospel to transcending national and ethnic distinction in the church into Christian care for the sick, strangers, and pilgrims. Have we, as the American church, lost some credibility in the eyes of our world because we've lost a bit of the art of kingdom hospitality? I think we need to sit with that question. You see, I've seen the power of this kingdom hospitality lived out. In the Middle East, in Palestine, in Palestine, Israel, in the West Bank, every single summer for about three days, this group of believers gets together. A bunch of them were born into Jewish homes. A bunch of them were born into Christian homes. And a bunch of them were born into Muslim homes. All now followers of Christ, Jew, Muslim, Christian, worshiping in spirit and truth together, breaking bread together, worshiping God together. The only way that something like that happens is because these people, now followers of Christ, are working in the power of the spirit. They are understanding the love of the stranger. They are understanding the love of the enemy. enemy. They are understanding the Christ example of Christian hospitality. Only in the power of that does something like that happen. Like the early church's surroundings, we live in a fragmented world where cultures and different economic spheres are colliding. We, like the early church, live in a world where loneliness, fear of the stranger, and alienation are incredibly common and becoming more common. We, like the early church, reside in a fairly self-focused society where we look to, for our identity and our successes and struggle to find authentic community. Church, people want to belong. 
People want authentic, rich, diverse community. They are looking for kingdom hospitality and we can offer it to them. Let me go a step further because I feel that often in our current culture, we have fallen so in love with comfortable community, so in love with comfortable community, that real community, community with people who look, think, vote, and act differently than us is even more rare than ever and therefore even more desirable than ever. And the church is the place where this should be exampled to our culture. The church has been the forerunner in establishing this type of community. The church has been the forerunner in helping recognize human dignity, not through discussion, but through practices of hospitality. It is the church that has always transcended social differences and broken social boundaries that have excluded certain types of people. Church dividing walls in our culture are torn down because of kingdom hospitality, and that is attractive to our world. Kingdom hospitality, it expects nothing in return. Kingdom hospitality is attractive to our world. And finally, kingdom hospitality points to Jesus Christ himself. Kingdom hospitality points to Christ. Christ came to earth and he expanded what hospitality is. He made it clear that it's more than entertaining those like us, those that we're comfortable with. It is the love of the stranger, love of the least of these, the poor, the sick, the lame, the blind, whoever is in our space that has seemingly nothing to offer us. We, the church, have been called to welcome, to welcome with accompanying inconveniences, with smells that we don't care for, with different worldviews, those with nothing to reciprocate, we have been called to welcome them. In welcoming these least, we reflect the welcome of God and point to Christ himself. Not only this, but we actually welcome Jesus Christ himself when we do this. The second parable I want us to check out is is found in Matthew 25, and this is what it says. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. God's invitation to the kingdom is tied to Christian hospitality in this life. This passage sets up identification with Christ with the least of these. Church, are we seeing the face of Christ in the strangers we encounter? This isn't only a New Testament concept. Here's an artist's rendering of an Old Testament picture of this. In Genesis 18, we see these three strangers visit Abraham and Sarah. 
These strangers come and we see them honored. We see fresh bread made for them. We see a, a table set under, under a tree and we see a, a, a lamb killed to provide a choice meal. And historians and theologians generally agree that it is, it is the Lord himself and two angels that Abraham is entertaining here. And we see in Hebrews 13, it says, don't forget to show hospitality to the stranger. For some of you have done this and have entertained angels without realizing it. If that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. This is what she says. Membership in the kingdom of God is intimately linked to the practice of hospitality in this life. Church, feel the heaviness of this truth. Hospitality is a way of life. It is a marker that declares a person a follower of Christ. It is the fruits of the spirit in action. It is our identity as Christ followers. It points to Christ himself. God who became man. God who became a stranger. God who left the comforts of heaven, who left the perfect fellowship of the Trinity and came to earth. God who came to earth, born in the manger. Foxes have dens. The son of man has no place to lay his head. Our Lord and Savior was homeless from the time of his baptism to his ascension. He wandered from place to place, reliant on the hospitality of others. Church, he is our example. And when he encountered the stranger, he gave special focus and intention to the least of these, to the tax collector, the prostitute, the poor, the lame, and the blind. Church, in our hospitality, we restore dignity. We reveal the heart of Christ and we imitate his care and his love for the stranger. In our hospitality, we anticipate God's hospitality and his return because he is returning as host. He is preparing rooms for those of us he calls his sons and daughters. In our hospitality, we encounter Christ himself when we engage the stranger. So how do we recapture this concept? How do we practically live it out? Before I give you a couple ways, let me first say that there are many of you in this room that practice kingdom hospitality well. And we have much to learn for you, from you. Some of you practice it on personal levels and you're engaging people all the time. Some of you are volunteering with, in corporate ways with institutions that are doing amazing things. Some of you are mentoring men and women coming out of prison and out of addictive behaviors and you're mentoring these people. Some of you are chopping wood and delivering it with roars to people who can't afford to heat their homes in the cold of winter. Some of you are helping resettle refugees through Salem for Refugees and feeding those that cannot find enough nourishment for their own bodies through Feed Salem. Some of you are engaged in this. Can I challenge you this week to begin telling the stories of how you have engaged the stranger, what that's meant for you, the joy and, and, and what you've taken out of it yourself. Tim Keller says that hospitality is treating strangers as family in hopes that some of them become friends. And some of you in ministering in those places have made new friends. Would you share those stories with those of us so that we can have the courage to do the same? Three potential ways that you can live this out this week. First, ask God to give you a heart to see the least, to notice. You see, kingdom hospitality is uncomfortable. In fact, for many of you, it will be costly. 
But the stranger is all around us. And for many of us, we subconsciously don't want to see them. But church, it's by the Spirit's power that kingdom hospitality is carried out. This is the practical display of the Spirit's work in our lives. And we don't have to force this. Listen to me again. We don't have to force this. The Lord will reveal to us the strangers in our midst. He will lessen the distance between us and the least. He will give us eyes to see those that he wants us to pursue. The single mom, the immigrant, the refugee, those with special needs, the abused, the widowed, the addicted, and the shut-in. The shut-in. Here in our church, there are many who are strangers to you. Start here. Start looking just in our community. Who are those that you don't know? Every week we greet one another. Greet someone next time that you've never met. Get a name. Begin to practice this. Make it a habit in your life. Second way to live this out. Look someone in the eye and say hello. That sounds so simple. But I walk around this city a lot. And rarely does anyone look me in the eye and say hello. Rarely does a stranger engage me. Church, this simple step helps rebuild the commonality of humanity that has been under attack. It rebuilds the commonality of humanity, shows someone that they were created in the image of God, that they have dignity and that they are loved. A simple look in the eyes in a high is powerful. Oftentimes when I walk downtown with with other people and friends and we engage people, some that are wanderers and don't have a a, a home and, and some that do. Oftentimes we'll engage someone whose head is down and we will engage them and I can see shame begin to melt off them. Church, it's a powerful act. We didn't plan on it, but if those of you that read your digital bulletin, there's a story about our church plant, The Way, down the street, in the inside look. And in The Way Church, they, they found themselves, they rented a place that's actually in a highly trafficked homeless area. A lot of homeless people walking there. And the, the church has made a, a commitment and said, we don't look at this as an obstacle. We look at this as an opportunity. These are the least. These are the strangers. Many of those men and women have started coming to their church, and they didn't know how to handle that. And so it just happened that a couple started attending their church and became members and offered to do a training for their members. And in the training, the first thing that they taught them was the best thing that you can do is simply go up to them, look them in the eye, shake their hands, and get their name. And if you read it, you'll see the power of that story. But it's so true. Do not underestimate the power that we have been given in Christ to play a role in restoring dignity, in telling people that they are created in the image of God, that they have value, that they are loved. It is often the first step to seeing shame broken for a stranger. And I do, I also, I want to pause here because I've been part of programming that helps the least for many, many years. I'm trained in it. My master's is in humanitarian services and it's all good stuff. And I'm thankful for the training I have, for the understanding that I have of how to alleviate, alleviate issues on an institutional level, how to institute programming that can make things better. I'm aware that sometimes our helping hurts. I'm a fan of the book, When Helping Hurts. But sometimes my question is, you know, Have we turned programming into kingdom hospitality? Have we made these outcomes of getting people into homes and employment and getting people out of addiction the only end game? I'm all for buying a box of food for the poor at Safeway. It's a good thing, but it doesn't build dignity and restore the commonality of humanity in the way that personal interaction can. In church, it's our mission to do that. Can we make that our outcome? 
Can we break shame off of the people in our city by simply saying hi, by making eye contact and by getting a name and letting them know that they are loved? Can we add that? Can that be an outcome? And can we add that to the incredible programming that our city has? Those two in partnership will make a dent. It will help bring peace to our city. So look someone in the eye this week and say hello. Third thing, create space and engage. Create space and engage. Be faithful with the sphere of influence that he's given you. Some of you, you are great entertainers. Your home is magazine worthy. The spread of food you can put on the table, it should be on Instagram. It is on point. It tastes good too. And you know it. Some of you are incredible barbecue people. You marinate that meat for the proper time and you want to share the bounty. And that is a good thing. Some of you are the opposite. You don't like to host in your home, but you have that special breakfast restaurant in town. You have that coffee shop or that third space that you often invite people into. Church, what does it look like not to recreate how we do hospitality, but to expand our invitation list to invite the stranger into those spaces every now and then? What would that look like? For others, it's not a matter of creating space. It's a matter of creating time to engage the stranger. It might not be inviting someone into your space. It might mean corporate ways of volunteering with organizations like UGM and Samanka House or volunteering with our GLOW ministry right here in Salem Alliance. It might be a monthly prison visit or visiting a shut-in every week. I'm not sure, but when we create space, both physical and time, and ask the Lord how he wants to redeem that space, It can be a powerful act of worship in the place where kingdom hospitality begins. Church, don't look to create extraordinary kingdom hospitality. Just ask God to let it happen. Don't force it. It's generally just gracious and casual. That's how it was for Christ. Just walking life village to village with eyes to see, extending the hospitality when the opportunity arose. Let's imitate him and let's recapture the power of kingdom hospitality. Let's pray. Lord, we tell you that you are good. Lord, we want to get this. We see the power of it and we want to get it. Lord, there's some in this room that they hear this and they feel kind of guilty. And one, I just release that. I say that's not from you and I just break that off. Lord, you've given people here resources. You've made people here incredible entertainers and hosts, and I just pray that you continue to redeem that. Lord, for those that are looking for opportunities to serve, I pray that you will direct them to places where they can engage the stranger in Jesus' name. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and courage to act? Lord, we worship you, and we we enter back into worship declaring that you are a God that became a stranger out of your love for us. May we follow your example of the way you lived here on this earth. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.